Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Tonight we have Sister Natalie Berry. She's a licensed therapist with the state of Missouri. Wendy Bennett, who is a licensed clinical professional counselor, and Brother Terry Bennett. He's a chaplain and certified coach practitioner. Church, can we welcome our speakers tonight? We're glad they're here. Thank you, everyone, for taking time out to be here with us tonight. First question is, uh, how does having a wounded heart hinder one's relationship with God? I think this is a good place to start. You know, you, you know you get, you're all tore up inside. And I've talked to people like this a lot. They feel just not close to the Lord, and a lot of it has to do with uh, not having a, a heart that is whole. How can having a wounded heart hinder one's relationship with God? Brother Terry. Uh, there are four ways that a wound can hinder our relationship with God. It's spiritual disconnect, lack of trust, blame, and then ultimately bitterness. So spiritual disconnect is... When someone's wounded, what they do is they begin to separate themselves from the people they love. They put up a wall often between them and the people they love. So in the spiritual world, that would be they would separate themselves from God. They would put a divide between them and God. They would find it uh, maybe that they would pray less often. Uh, They wouldn't be reading their Bible like they should. And their praise and worship would become little or none. And um, so that's the first step that people will do when they're wounded to, that hinders their relationship with God. They disconnect. Next, lack of trust. Um, They feel that if God wasn't there when this wound, whatever it was, if God wasn't there, then we can't trust God from this point forward. So they have lack of trust. Next would be blame. They choose to blame God. Well, God didn't do it. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. I, I'm, I'm blaming him for the cause of this. And then lastly, if you have the spiritual disconnect, the lack of trust and the blame, it can result in bitterness. Then with bit, bitterness, um, you completely separate yourself from God. Um, you hold a grudge against God. Your vision is clouded by anger. You feel abandoned by God and you begin to harbor feelings of anger and resentment. So the end result is the wound causes avoidance and withdrawal. Very good. Sister Wendy. Okay, as you just heard, a wounded heart impacts our relationship with God in several ways. A wounded heart is typically caused by trauma, hurts, and or offenses. After experiencing the trauma, a brain has instinctive and automatic reactions that are used to protect itself. These instincts affect the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. The amygdala is the part of the brain that is responsible for processing emotions and reacting to danger, real or perceived. The prefrontal cortex is responsible for regulating behavior, planning, decision-making, and problem-solving. The amygdala suppresses the prefrontal cortex, which keeps a person stuck in a reactive state. The brain's default response is to 
to any threat is to go into proactive mode and create a defense mechanism and faulty belief systems. To protect itself, the brain lies. The brain says people are not safe and cannot be trusted. They do not love us, nor do they care about us. It says you don't matter, so don't even try. These are just a few of the many trauma lies that the brain creates. So living with a wounded heart causes one to be preoccupied and stuck in survival mode, which leads to becoming inwardly focused using repetitive, destructive, and negative thinking. Self-focused thoughts can hinder us spiritually by shifting our focus from God to ourself. All of this is done unconsciously, and as we attempt to protect ourselves, we become self-sufficient and avoid depending on others. So in other words, we build a wall around us to keep us safe. It's very common to take these faulty beliefs and project them unto God. Rather than fully encountering God and receiving all the blessings that he has for us, we remain caught up in an ongoing pain and misconceptions. The greatest hindrance of a wounded heart is the effect it has on faith. Faith is about trusting that God loves you, that God will protect you and will provide for you and take care of you. But if you've never had an earthly father do those things, it's difficult to believe that a heavenly father can or will. Sister Natalie. I feel that I'm going to say some of the same things that Brother Terry and Wendy just said, but whenever we're wounded, right, those seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness can begin to plant and take root. Um, it can be towards other people, towards God, and to ourselves too. And we all get hurt. We've all been hurt. We're all going to get hurt. We've all been angry. There's nothing wrong about being hurt, right? That's the initial reaction that happens. But what happens that it can be a hindrance to our relationship with God is when we let that seed begin to grow and to flourish into something a lot bigger. And those roots can be deep. And like Brother Terry said, what do we do when we are hurt, when we have offense, and we begin to feed on those messages of bitterness and hate? We isolate ourselves. We want to get away from other people. Um, and our hurt becomes more important than God sometimes, right? We, we put that hurt on a pedestal, and we obsess over it. And we play over it. And, and why does this happen? Sister Wendy gave such an eloquent um, description of the brain. And our brains are very lazy. They're, they don't like to do a lot of work, right? And they're always going to predict what's going to happen next for you. So if I was hurt by a brother and sister in church, my brain's going to tell me, I better not go to church again because someone's going to hurt me, right? So we have to overcome the natural man in our initial thought processes. Um, don't let the hurt control you. Um, it can make you lose your trust in God. And if the enemy can isolate us, he can influence us. So it happens in isolation. Very good. And when somebody comes to the Lord to receive the Holy Ghost, they're coming up uh, to receive a gift. Very easy to do. Uh, when somebody wants to uh, be physically healed, maybe they suffer with migraine, headaches, back pain, knee pain. You know, I think it's easy to mentally offer that unto the Lord in faith. But I think you have to totally have a different approach when bringing a wounded heart to the Lord. It's different than coming up to receive the Holy Ghost or to receive healing. 
How would you all say someone should, what the approach should be to bring a wounded heart to the Lord and to receive healing? Sister Wendy? First of all, we have to bring our wounded hearts to God openly and willingly. We have to be aware that we have wounds and how they are impacting us. Sometimes we've had a wound for so long that we're not even aware of it, but I can assure you that other people are aware of it. Becoming aware of a wound starts with self-examination. Lamentations 340 says, let us examine and test our ways. Examining and testing our ways start with observing and our, our behaviors and asking ourselves questions about our emotions, about our behaviors, and about our relationships. It also includes asking and seeking feedback from close friends and family. Behaviors that might include a wound could be patterns of overreacting to situations, painful feelings around certain areas that, in your life that you don't understand. It could be feelings of anger without a reason, a, de a deep sense of sadness, little or no tolerance of others, emotional outburst, or overly sensitive to certain types of people and situations. And it's also could be, it could also be difficulty connecting with others or God. After we realize we have open wounds, we need to do four things. We need to pray about it. God knows all about it. He's just waiting for us to bring it to him and ask for healing. Sometimes it helps to journal about the people and the situations that have caused your wound. There's just something about getting it out. Forgive those who have wounded you and pray for them. That's the hardest part sometimes is praying for the person who wounded you. I can say that from experience. The word tells us that we have to forgive. It's really, it's not a choice. It's something that we have to do. And we find that once we begin to pray for those who have wounded us, the healing begins to happen. You just really can't hate someone that you pray for. Reach out for support. Talk to someone you trust. It's healing to share your burden. We need each other. We are wounded in relationships, and we will be healed in relationships. And lastly, attend programs that focus on healing wounds. We have two great programs here at church. We have the Genesis program and Celebrate Recovery. Both programs help in identifying wounds and processing them. I've done both, and they work. Sister Natalie. So something that comes to my mind is a message that Pastor Justin preached on a Wednesday night. It was a few months ago, maybe a few weeks ago. And he talked about how to fill in the blank, God is our. Across from somebody and they're pouring out their hurt. They're sharing really embarrassing things that have happened to them, deep wounds. A part of me is always tugged, and I became, even though I didn't go maybe through exactly what they've been through, a part of me feels connected to that hurt because I've felt that feeling before. I know what they're going through, and I begin to empathize and want to work with them. And Jesus is just like that, right? Even though it can be so hard to be vulnerable and share those things that have happened, he understands and he feels everything that you're feeling. So I think the best way to just bring our wounded hearts to the Lord is to be honest, come before him, picture him, 
welcoming, warm. He's there, he understands, and he's been through worse than we have. Um, confession is a great gift, right? It sounds sometimes we have a negative connotation to that word, but it really is a gift that we're given. And we can't be healed until we bring it to God, right? God is a gentleman. He's not to come knocking in unless you let him in. So let him in to those wounds and those pains. Bringing our wounds, um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brother Devin, if we can put that slide up there. Um, there, the word heavy laden in the King James Version means an overloaded, unbearable weight. And so it's a good example of what a wound can feel like. It can be too much. It means, just like you see in this picture, a heavy weight that's upon your back on your shoulders and over your head. And it's almost unbearable. Jesus said, bring those wounds to me. Bring that to me. I'll take that for you. And so what we need to do then is surrender it to Jesus. We need to take it off of our shoulders and place it at his feet. But the thing is, we have to be willing to let it go. Sometimes we hold on to our wounds. Sometimes our wounds, we're so familiar with them that it's hard for us to let go of them. And so we keep them, but we've got to surrender them to Jesus. Also in Psalms 147, 3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. My granddaughter Blakely and I were at a playground, and we were playing tag or something, and, and she was running, and she hit a piece of the equipment of the slide or whatever it was, and she hit her head, and she fell to the ground, and she started crying. And instantly, Papa rushed over, and I picked her up. And in just a matter of moments, I held her close, told her everything was going to be all right, brushed off all the dirt and the wound, and, and she was okay. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to do the same thing, but we have to let him do that for us. Amen. Very good, everyone. Sometimes, you know, the Bible says we ought to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And when you have that going for you, you you're in a great spot. But sometimes it can be hard for the brain to know what you're feeling. And sometimes for the, it's hard for the heart to know what the brain is thinking. And um, I think a lot of us struggle with understanding why we feel the way we feel throughout the day about things. What are some ways we can understand why the way we feel the way we feel throughout the day? Uh, Sister Natalie. An example I have is I had a client who came in initially uh, with anger problems. They were really shamed about it. They were embarrassed that they had this anger problem, but through our work together, we discovered it wasn't anger, it was anxiety that was driving the anger. So this person was a workaholic, they worked long hours, they didn't take breaks, they were always on the go. And then if you think of a, volcan a volcano, during the day that's gonna be rising, it's rising, I'm not checking in on myself. And eventually you're gonna get home 
Someone didn't do the dishes the right way. I'm gonna snap at them and my volcano is gonna erupt over everyone and leave a big mess. But we can prevent that volcano from exploding um, if we are doing checks on ourselves throughout the day. And so one way I teach my clients to do that is to notice what they are feeling inside their body throughout the day, right? Let's say you're at work, there's a lot going on. My boss just yelled at me. I've got all these assignments due and I'm starting to feel nervous, okay? So I'm starting to feel maybe my heart's beating fast. Maybe my shoulders are tense. Maybe my face is really hot. My heart's beating. All those somatic symptoms that we have. Notice what's going on. Sometimes we're really bad about doing that, but your body doesn't lie to you. Your body's gonna tell you how you're feeling. And then you're gonna name it. Man, right now I feel so anxious, or I feel so angry, or I'm so hurt. I'm embarrassed that my boss did this to me. Um, I always teach my kids when they come in, I say, name it to tame it. You're gonna name the emotion you're feeling. So that way you know what to do and you know how to help yourself after you've named that emotion you're feeling. And maybe you can also attribute to what has caused that emotion. So you can list it. Yeah, it's really busy at work right now. I was late to work. All these things have led up to me feeling this way. And then from there, you can choose to act on it, do something to calm you down or whatever helps you. Oh, there's three things that I see that we feel the way we feel that can interrupt our day. First is dwelling on the past. How many has ever dwelled on the past? Okay. This is when you play a scenario over and over again in your mind and you think, why, why did this happen? And I should have done this and I should have said this. When you dwell on the past, it causes depression. Next is worrying about the future. Once again, give me hands. Come on. How many have worried about the future? The rest of you are lying. Uh, when we worry about the future, that is, we get anxiety when we worry about the future. Most of the things that we worry about never happen. There are statistics, let me try that one, that say 85%, others say 90%, others say 92% of the things that you worry about never happen. That means a very small percent of what you worry about can actually happen. I was working with a lady years ago and she, I was talking to her about worry and she said to me, she said, well, if I don't worry, who will? I, I've got an idea. How about nobody? Let's none of us worry. Okay, so worry can cause anxiety. And the last thing is harboring unforgiveness. If you hold unforgiveness, you will never move forward. It will be weighing on your mind every day. It will be taxing you. We have to have a spirit of unforgiveness. It causes a divide between us and God. And all of these things that I listed can cause anxiety, depression, insomnia, headaches. There's a bunch of issues. Your, your immune system is weakened. All of these things happen when you worry or when you dwell on something and you don't surrender it to God. Okay, we feel what we feel because we think what we think. We respond to life experiences through emotions based upon how we interpret a situation, what we think about it and how we say about it. Emotions are an indicator of how we're doing and a motivator for change. 
To understand why we feel what we feel, we have to know what we're thinking or what we believe. Thoughts are a window into the heart. I always tell clients, think about what you're thinking about. This goes to that awareness piece. We learn to understand our feelings when we become aware of our thoughts and self-talk or internal dialogue. Many times clients come into the counseling, counseling due to experiencing distressed emotions. And one of the first questions I ask them is, what are you thinking about? And they typically say, nothing. I just find myself feeling anxious. I just, I'm feeling sad or I'm getting all worked up. But then when we stop and begin to explore the things that are going through their mind, we begin to unravel negative thinking, faulty beliefs, and destructive self-talk. And then we begin to understand why they are feeling what they are feeling. And then this takes us onto a journey of self-examination. There are several things one can do to increase their awareness of their internal dialogue. There's a tool that I have come up that I have found that works really well. And I typically go through this um, tool or I go through, I work with the client with this tool and it just helps bring it out, put it on paper. And if you can show the worksheet, the cognitive triangle worksheet. Nope, the next one. <laughs> Okay, if not, that's okay. Basically what the cognitive triangle is, it starts with a situation or a thought. And if you can identify the thought, you're gonna understand the emotion. And then once you understand the emotion, you're gonna understand your behaviors. And so being able to take the time and just stop and ask what's going through my mind is gonna help you understand why we feel or why you feel the way you feel. Very good. What are some healthy ways to manage and regulate our emotions? Brother Terry. People with trauma have emotional highs and emotional lows. And maybe you've met someone that has extremes. They're way up here or they're way down here. Maybe you are that person. I understand that. So there's a couple of things that we need to do. Um, to manage our emotions. First, identify, next, challenge, and lastly, replace. So you need to identify the emotions. You know when a child's having a fit and you don't know why they're having a fit and they don't know why they're having a fit? It's because they haven't identified the emotion. Well, we as adults do that also. We have to learn to identify the emotion we're having so we can move forward. Do you, does your stomach hurt because you ate three bowls of chili? Or does your stomach hurt because you're ruminating on something that happened to you yesterday? So identify that emotion. Next, challenge the emotion, okay? Is this true? Ask yourself, what am I feeling and why am I feeling this? What are my thoughts and emotions and are they accurate? We need to ask ourselves these questions. When you uh, challenge your emotions, it helps you become more aware of your thoughts and you can learn to manage them more effectively. And lastly, replace, do we have that picture of the ant? There's something called ants, okay? This is automatic negative thoughts. You all have them. You were all born with them. 
Um, automatic negative thoughts are, they help us because they're a defense mechanism that we have. And also they help us in times of threat or danger. So you need to have that. Everything's not wonderful. There's evil in the world. There's a cliff beside you, whatever it might be. You have to be aware of these things, but people take the automatic negative thoughts and they begin to think many other negative thoughts. Negative thoughts produce negative thoughts, which produce negative thinking. So we have to become aware of these. One of the best ways is to look into the word of God, Philippians 4, 8. One of my favorite scriptures, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, lovely. Give your mind, give your thoughts, give your emotions to these things. Think on these things. Very good, Sister Wendy. So the first thing we need to do when we have a strong emotion is to take a deep breath. And sometimes we might have to take several deep breaths and stop, go through the cognitive triangle and identify the internal dialogue you're engaging in. After identifying the internal dialogue, examine yourself. Where did it come from? After identifying the internal dialogue, evaluate it. Is it true? Are there any evidence, is there any evidence that suggests that this is true? If we find it's false, we have to reframe it with the truth. And if we find it's true, we have to come up with a plan to address it so that it's no longer true. Sometimes both can be true. So let me give you an example. A client comes in feeling distressed due to a conflictual relationship. We examine his internal dialogue and belief system, which sounds like this. I am worthless. I can't do anything right. I have terrible relationships. No one really loves me and I'll never have healthy relationships again. So we look for the evidence. He had a good, re he had a good relationship with his daughter and with his siblings, um, but he does have a pattern of relationship issues with his spouse. So we reframed it. I'm not worthless. I am a good dad. I am a good brother. They love me and I have a good relationship with them. But we did conclude that he is operating under a cognitive distortion of generalizing where he took one poor relationship and lumped it in with all of his other relationships. So we determined the truth is he had a pattern of relationship issues with spouse due to attachment issues stemming from childhood experiences. So a plan was developed to work on healing his emotional wound and to learn strategies to strengthen the bond between, he, between him and his wife. He learned how to manage and regulate his emotions by becoming aware of what was driving the emotion, reframing the lies and faulty beliefs and learning strategies to address the real issue. So whenever we experience a big emotion, something big happens, say we're really angry, we're really anxious, we're always going to do something to cope with that, right? And I call it an action tendency. What is your action tendency? And we all have them, but usually they are not um, healthy coping skills, right? So let's think you had a big day at work, you go home, you're gonna binge watch a bunch of TV shows for hours on end. You're gonna scroll on social media for hours. You're going to overindulge in work. You're gonna procrastinate. You're gonna yell at your family. You're gonna, sometimes it turns into 
using substances, right, too. And so they work in the short term, right? It's a way we've learned to self-soothe and to help address that emotion. Um, and we can learn them from our families growing up, too. Like if I saw, if I saw dad every time at 4 o'clock when he got home from work and he was getting some type of drink out of the refrigerator, then my mind's going to tell me that's going to work for me too. Like that's what's going to make me feel better. So we pick up these habits from our families as well. And whenever we take away a bad habit, it needs to be replaced with something else. And so we need positive coping skills. And these are things that are not innovative or super creative. They are just healthy things to help us with the emotion. And so instead of overindulging in mind-numbing activities, here are some examples of things that you can do. When I first meet with a client, I am always checking. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you feeding yourself properly? Are you doing some type of exercise right? Because usually, if we're not sleeping enough, our brain's going to be so emotional. We don't, we're not going to understand why we feel the way we do. Sleep is so important. So make sure you have all those things checked off. Call a friend. Go to lunch with somebody. Do a hobby you enjoy. God is the best creator, so be creative. Create something. Deep breathe. Pray, read your Bible, journal. These are all things that you can do to replace those negative coping skills and will help you process your emotions in a much healthier way. And the saying goes, have a plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So if you're not thinking through what you're going to do, um, you're going to fail. So have a plan created. Very good. Next question, how can we offer loving correction to someone when they offend or hurt us? How can we offer loving correction to someone when they offend or hurt us? Sister Wendy. When we are offended or hurt, it's important that we communicate that to the person who hurt or offended us. The word tells us in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. When we express our hurt, we give the other person an opportunity to make it right. And if they do, we keep and strengthen a relationship. If they receive it and they sincerely apologize, willingly offer them forgiveness and don't hold it against them as a grudge. I, I encourage clients to use the I statements to express their hurt. The I statement focuses on their feelings and experiences and what they need for a repair. It does not blame, it does not criticize, nor does it accuse. I always suggest that they avoid using the you statement as that tends to come across as blaming or criticizing. I also encourage them to save the conversation for a time when there's calmness and when they approach the individual, use a soft startup, which includes using a positive tone of voice, facial expression, and non-threatening body gestures. An example of a soft startup and the I statement may sound something like, I'd like to visit with you about something that is bothering me as our relationship is too important for me to not express to you how I feel. And an example would be someone who's dealing with a childhood wound. I was hurt and abandoned when you left. That's the I statement. I felt. I was hurt and abandoned when you left. 
I really needed you growing up. I need to understand why you left. Sometimes understanding helps when it comes to the healing of a wound. So I agree with everything Sister Wendy said. In fact, I think you looked at my notes before we came up here. Um, so yes, Jesus is the best, best person to go to for this, right? And he gave us this beautiful formula. And I won't go through all of it again for you, but um, I think if the first part, going to that person alone, I think if everybody did this, there would be a lot less hurt and bitterness because so many things get misconstrued whenever we have a hurt or offense, right? And my narrative of what happened or what they said may be totally different than what they were intending to come across. And I'm going to read it through my lens and I can get hurt and then I can talk bad about them to everyone in the church and, you know, all the things that we can do. Um, but if we just go to that person, go to them humbly with a humble heart. Before you go to them, examine, you know, what is my heart wanting to do? Am I wanting to criticize them? Am I wanting to attack? Or am I wanting to restore this relationship? So always ask yourself that question. Um, and we can always control how we respond, right? They may not, they may not listen. They may not want to restore that relationship, but we can control how we respond to them and how we are going to treat them. So, yes. Um, understanding, one of the things we want to do is we want to show people that we understand, people that are hurting. Hurting people hurt people, always, always. Hurting people hurt other people. This is what happens. And this is because they're dealing with a pain, so they put some pain on you. They're offended, so they offend. Um, it's part of the self-protection mechanism. Um, they have the mentality where they realize it or not that they're going to hurt you before you hurt them. So we've all been hurt by people. People have said stuff to us that have interrupted our world, but part of it is how we're going to deal with that. So the other thing we need to do is practice compassion, right? We want people to be compassionate with us when we say something wrong, when we do something wrong. So show others compassion next be willing to forgive unforgiveness once again puts that wall that barrier between you and that person um, a, a lot of this has to do with unforgiveness because people will hold on to unforgiveness and they won't let it go now there's a couple of things in unforgiveness that we've got to mention if someone offends you you need to forgive them but here's what else needs to happen you need to ask God to forgive them. That's not the way we think. We think, well, go, God, I know I need to forgive them. But now, God, you go get them. Go get them, God. They did that to me, so go get them. That's the way we think. Stephen was being stoned to death. And when he was almost dead, he said, Lord, lay it not to their charge. He was going to die, and he's asking God to forgive the people that are hurting him. And then Jesus is hanging on the cross in between two thieves. And he, people have wounded him. They've 
spit upon him. They've ridiculed him. They've hung him on a tree. They've done everything they could do. And everything that he could have thought, the one thing he says is, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So when someone hurts us or offends us, we've got to forgive them, but we've also got to ask God to forgive them. Amen. I feel the presence of God here right now. Amen. Last question. When someone recalls traumatic events, disappointments, hurts, failures, etc., how does one begin to replace lies with truth within themselves? How does one begin to replace lies with truth within themselves? Sister Natalie. So when I first have a client come in, an example, stepping in the mud you're stepping you're trying to trench through and you're not seeing the other paths that are before you and that happens with trauma um, there's a type of trauma therapy that I utilize that tone never came back that child's gonna believe I'm not lovable I'm not worthy I'm not valuable and that belief if not healed if you don't allow God to heal that it's gonna follow you through your life you're going to watch situation after situation, and that belief is going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect how you view God. It can affect so many parts of your life. And so what I help them do, I say, instead of believing you're not valuable or you're not worthy, what does God say about that? What's the opposite? What do you want to believe about yourself? Well, I'm worthy of you, Jesus. I'm enough because Jesus loves me. And then we're gonna make a list. We're gonna go to the word and we're gonna make a list of every scripture that confirms that belief that is godly and is of the Bible. Be careful who you let speak into your lives. People knowingly or unknowingly can say something to you that's untrue. And sometimes we accept that as truth. Next, be aware of your own self-talk. Avoid negative speech. Listen to this quote. Words are free, but it's how they use them, how you use them that cost. And then in Proverbs 26 and 24, it says this. I love this scripture. Pleasant words are like honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and healthy to the bone. Isn't that cool? Pleasant words, they're sweet to the soul and healthy to the bone. I love that scripture. Lastly, give yourself time to heal. Big wounds take longer to heal. Something happened to me many years ago. I was, um, an injustice was done to me and I didn't want to deal with it after the fact, and I just wanted to get it out of my mind, so I went to the person right away and I said, you know what, you know, let's just not worry about this. I, I forgive you, let's just forget it. Six months later, I woke up out of a sleep and I was upset. 
I was ready. I had an outrage. I called the person and I said, if I ever see you again, I'm going to beat your face in. I'm sorry, everybody. I truly said that. This was many, many years ago. I haven't said it since. So we can be calm. But I was in such an outrage because what happened was I had a wound and I just closed it up. Oh, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's not going to bother me. And then all of a sudden it began to fester inside of me. And it festered and festered until it opened up and it exploded. And now not only the person that hurt me, I had to go back to them and ask them to forgive me for the way that I handled it. So give yourself time to heal, whatever that healing process is. If it's a small wound, it doesn't take very long. It can heal quickly, but something big, take time and the effort to make yourself whole again. Choose to address it. No more avoiding, blaming, pretending it doesn't exist, or self-medicating. You have to just look at the lie. You have to address it. You have to say it. You have to capture that lie. The Word tells us to take every thought captive. Say the lie out loud. Call it for what it is. Call it a lie. And then say the truth out loud. There's power in the spoken Word. Then use scripture. Search the word for scriptures that address the lie. And then pray about it and ask God to put the truth in your heart. So an example is a lie. A lie could be, you can't do it. You're never going to be able to do it. Don't even try. You'll never be that person you want to be. But then you stop and you say, well, the truth is, I'm actually doing it. And then you look at the scriptures that you find and, and the one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am established by God. I am God's workmanship. And with and for with God, nothing is impossible. And I'd love to tell you that you just have to do it once, but that's not the case. It may take telling yourself the truth many times before you believe it. I've had people say, but I really don't believe it. And so I tell them, keep telling yourselves because eventually you will. You've been telling yourself a lie for a long time. So it's gonna take some time before you start to believe it, but keep reading it, keep saying it, keep reading the scripture and keep praying for God to put that truth in your heart. Healing is a process and it takes time. It's not an event. Amen, can we give our speakers a hand? That was tremendous. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.